Hallelujah. It is my honor to bring you the word today. I just want to pray that the Lord has a free hand, a free uh, door to speak through me into, into your hearts, into my heart, um, so that we can, uh, we can just receive what the word of the Lord is for today, for, the, for this season, for this time. Um, we're all plugged in to, to, the, to what's going on in, in the world, in the church. Uh, whether we feel it or not, we're plugged in through the Spirit, we're plugged in. So some of the things that are happening, uh, we, we may not realize that, that we're affected by it. And, and, and we're affected. So what's happening to, to our brothers and sisters in Iran, we're affected. You may not feel it directly, but you feel it, you, 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 the result of the, what's going on in the Spirit, you feel. Same thing that's happening in Armenia, you feel it in the Spirit. Um, Last week, uh, Haney, when he opened the word, he read this, or he said this thing. I wrote it down. I wanted to repeat it. He said this. He said, the effectiveness of the church anywhere in the world is directly proportional to how much we let the cross work in us. You remember that? I'm going to repeat it. The effectiveness of the church anywhere in the world is directly proportional to how much we let the cross work in us. The cross is a huge factor. But we, we don't realize why. We don't realize or understand how the cross is actually uh, like so important. What does it do? And I don't think you can actually get to understand the cross without fully understanding what sin is. Because the cross is an answer to sin. And if you don't know the question, you don't know where to apply the answer. And very often, we look at the cross, we see it as being the central point of what we believe in Jesus Christ. The central, it has been the central point of Christianity ever since Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago. It has been central to every generation. And without realizing it, we just embrace it as, a, our, as our symbol, as our sign. Without understanding fully what it actually represents. We understand some aspect of it, that Jesus died for our sins. But we also sometimes in error think that Jesus was simply a martyr. What does that mean? The word martyr is like, uh, we use it as somebody who believes so strongly that he's willing to give up his life for it. And they persecute him and he dies for what he believes. Jesus didn't do that, even though it seems right. Jesus didn't do that. But we see Jesus as a martyr. Jesus paid for our sins. But we don't know. If we don't know what sin is, then it becomes meaningless. So I want to just focus on that a little bit. In some cases, it might feel a little bit harsh. I apologize in advance. It's not my heart to give you harsh. It's my heart for us to really fully understand so that we can appreciate what Jesus did on the cross. Without appreciating what Jesus did on the cross, you will never be able to embrace the cross for yourself. And if you can't, embrace the cross 
then all you're doing is walking in a, a, a dead religion. Albeit Christianity is probably the best religion in the world by far. You compare it point by point, it is the best. But it is still a religion if you don't know the power of cross personally in your life. Because it's not the religion that saves. It's not the religion that saves. What is sin? Give you a small example. I have some workers that have been working in, uh, in at my house, in my yard. Uh, when they work outside, many of them are smokers. They're smoking all day long. They finish their smoke, and just like they do everywhere else, they just it's gone, right? They flick it somewhere, and the cigarette butts land on my yard. So after the day is done, I go out and I see maybe 12 or 15 cigarette butts all over the place. So I pick them up because I don't like seeing cigarette butts around. I pick them up and I throw them out. Right? And uh, the next time they come, same thing, next day. I so, so what I noticed, as long as it's on my yard, I was okay because I'm the one cleaning it up. But when they flick it into my neighbor's yard, I'm not okay. Because my neighbor's going to see it. He's not going to be happy about it. It's going to look bad on me. So I mentioned it to the worker. I said, please don't put your cigarette on my neighbor's yard. And I picked it up in front of him. Right away. Right away he realized that there's something wrong. And he didn't do that again. And when he mistakenly, you know, because of habit, he did it. As soon as he saw me, he went and picked it up. Right? Something changed. Because all of a sudden a standard was set that judged the action as being wrong. Whereas before, doesn't matter. But as soon as the standard is there, you realize that it's wrong. It changes you inside. Same thing when you drive down the highway. You could be barreling along at 200 kilometers an hour. But until the sign shows up that says 100 is the maximum, you're doing nothing wrong. But as soon as you see it, you feel it, you let off on the gas. Not only do you let off on the gas, but you also look for to see if there's a policeman down there with a radar. Right? I hope I slowed down enough. Or soon enough. It happens. It's happened to me. It's happened so many times. Like there was one time um, where Alexi and I were driving somewhere, I don't remember... We came off the highway, we were barreling down it. It was like uh, 60 kilometers an hour. All of a sudden, the sign came up 40. It's like, we're going fast. So I actually put on the brakes. And, and then a few months later, I got, I got a notice in the mail that actually showed me on my car with the brakes on right in front of the 40 sign. Right? I was caught. Didn't realize it, but the sign indicated. So how do you know what you're doing is sin? What do you know? Who tells you what sin is? What is your standard of sin? What convicts you? Or maybe you're not feeling convicted because you don't know. Because when I mentioned, you remember the example of the cigarettes, when I showed up, the atmosphere changed. That means that the standard isn't just a set of rules. It's a presence. It's a presence that makes you feel convicted. 
Imagine like you, you tell a dog, like we have, we have our, our, our darling Simba uh, sometimes stays at our house, Furi's dog, where we babysit. And there's this one sofa he's not supposed to get up on, right? So we, he gets up on it, we bring him down, he gets up on it, bring him down, he learns. But sometimes he can't help himself because it's right in front of the front door. This is where he gets to see outside. But he gets up on it, but as soon as he sees, boom, he's down. It's not a rule, it's the person. It's the presence that makes you feel, I'm doing something wrong. And he speaks not just a set of rules, he speaks his nature. He speaks his character. He says, this is who I am. And then all of a sudden you compare, you go, whoa, I'm really short. I'm nowhere like that. There's a verse in the Bible, it's, 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 it's a jarring Bible, it's Psalm 50, um, verse, verse 21. And, and God is rebuking the nation of Israel for all the things that have done. He says, he says, these things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. Let that sink for a second. You thought that I was altogether like you. And this is what society does to us. When we start to no longer see the trueness of what sin is, and we let the definition of sin come to us from everywhere else, and we begin to function like everyone else, we actually think that God is like this. We lose sight of who He is. And we begin to think that he's just like us. That's where the rebuke comes. He goes, I keep silent. In your sin, I keep silent. And you think I'm like you. That should convict us. Sin has to do with accountability. When there's no accountability, you can do whatever you want. If you're the boss, you come to work whenever you want. But when you're not the boss, you come to, to work at the time that you have been told to come to work. You're accountable now. When we have no accountability, we have no knowledge of sin. But as soon as there's accountability, it wakes up in us. Are you accountable? Do you feel accountable to God? If you don't feel accountable to God, then there's no sense of sin. Then the cross has no power. It's useless. Accountability. So in the Old Testament, we have the Ten Commandments. It's a good basis. When you start reading from the New Testament, you'll see that the assumption of sin is already there. There's no clear definition of what sin is when you start reading in the New Testament because it, it's, it comes into it from the old. That means that the foundation was laid before that and, and one of the foundations is ten, the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Ten Commandments, part of it at least, is, is the foundation of the laws in our country, in, in many countries. Like, you shall not murder. 
It was in the Old Testament. It was given to us in the Ten Commandments. It's still to, uh, true today. But most of the Ten Commandments, nothing. Here they are, found in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols for yourself. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your mother and your father. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, which means you should, don't lie. You shall not covet your neighbor's things, his house, his wife, his husband, her husband, her possessions. It's a good foundation to start. But today, we no longer feel the need to follow any of these things. We no longer need to love God with all our heart. It's not necessary, right? We no longer need to have only one God. We no longer need to take, to not take the name of the Lord in vain. My goodness, how many times do you encounter this through? Why is it that only Jesus Christ is a swear word? Why isn't Muhammad or Buddha or Jesus? Because there's something there that draws you into accountability that also wakes up a rebellion in us. How many times do we hear the word Jesus Christ sworn? You hear it everywhere. And even the offshoots of the name Jesus Christ. Cheese. Right? Crikey, the Australians say it. It's all some variation of the word Jesus or the word Christ. Anyway, we no longer feel the need to not take the name of the Lord in vain. We no longer need to keep the Sabbath day holy. Did you know that we were designed by God? We were designed. To work six days and take one day off. Your body needs it. In fact, there are statistics, I don't have it with me, but I've read about it, is that, that um, you will more likely, if you're working constantly seven days a week continuously, you owe that one day, right, basically. Your lifespan will be shortened by that amount. So if you actually take the day off, you get to live longer. Your body is designed that way. But I'm not telling you to do that. We no longer need to take the Sabbath day. Right? That's what this society tells us. We no longer need to honor our mother and our father. Unfortunately. But we think it's okay. Because our honor to them is contingent upon them respecting us. Is that the standard? Not unless you read the word. But that's how society is formed now. Honor is only given where it's due. If you respect me, I will honor you. But that's not how it's done. What else is the standard here? We are not, we're required to not murder. That's okay. That's true. We follow that. But we're okay with murdering children before they're born. It's not okay. We don't subscribe to that. 
or at least we think we don't. But you see where I'm going with all of this. We don't realize that we're living in a society where we have also dumbed down, we have reduced our standards for what we know to be sin. We are not required to not steal. We are still required to not steal. Right? But we're okay with stealing on our taxes. Not claiming everything that we get. We're okay with little things like this. And as soon as you open the door a crack, the enemy comes in and he starts to make a mess. And so chances are the mess that we have in our lives are all because of these little cracks that we have let go and we've considered God to be altogether like us. <clears throat> there is no law against adultery. We are required to not lie, but tell the truth. But yet we're okay with little white lies that don't hurt anybody. Cracks. We lie when it's convenient for us. We lie to the government. We lie to this. We, 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 we go somewhere and they say, will you pay in cash? Sure, I'll pay in cash. I don't have to pay the tax. He's not going to claim it. Right? You just become party participants to this thing. I don't like to do that. I don't like to... Anyway, that's another story for another day. We no longer need to not covet what our neighbor has. In fact, covetousness, which is the word for really strong desire, is the basis of the success of our society. Every commercial that you see on TV is trying to instill in you covetousness. It's no longer just the creativity that is given to us by the grace of God. But we covet to the point that we're no longer happy when they succeed, when we don't. We have the what about me mentality. That's covetousness. Why not me? Why them and not me? So we're unable to celebrate the success of, successes of our brothers and sisters before our success. And thereby we also cancel the success that is due us. Like I said, accountability in all of this is presence. When the Lord is there, the Bible says that, you know, in one of the places in the Psalms, he says he will guide you with his eye. When you're looking into this face, when you look at the face of Jesus, his eyes are like flaming fire. It changes you. It changes you. You know immediately without a word. I remember when the children were little. I mean, you've, if you're parents, you've, you've probably experienced this when they're little. They do something. All you need to do is just look at them. And they know. Right? And that's how guiding us with, with his eye is. It's like when the Lord looks at us, you feel the conviction. But that's if you're open to it. If you have a standard. If you've been told... God will not lay an expectation on you if he has not communicated it to you. Like the Bible also says is that where there is no law, there is no sin. But he is very quick to set the boundaries in our lives as soon as we come to him. He set the boundaries so that we know who he is. 
And then he begins to guide us with his eye. In this age that we live on this side of the cross of Christ, grace, the doors of grace were opened up like a flood. The whole world was affected by the cross of Christ. The whole world. We, we may not realize it, but something shifted in the heavens because the, the, uh, the seat of authority changed. When Jesus died on the cross and he was raised, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means that he holds the authority. Throughout the world, he is the authority. Something changed in the world. And everybody became, every single person, believer, non-believer, doesn't matter. Today, 7 billion, 8 billion people, whatever it is, they are recipients. They are benefic beneficiaries of the grace of that Christ, of what Christ did on the cross. They receive grace. That means that when you speak to them, something in their spirit tells them that it's true. What you're telling about Jesus is true. They might vehemently deny it, but they know it's true. Because they live in this age. They're able to understand. But, but, Let me read you something that I read recently in a book by John Stott called The Cross of Christ. He ends the book with this quote. He says this. It is the crucified man that can preach the cross. It is the crucified man that can preach the cross. Thomas said, except I see in his hands the print of the nails I will not believe. You remember that? This is after the crucifixion when, when all of the disciples are together and Jesus had appeared and Thomas wasn't there. When they told him, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. This is what Thomas says. says Unless I put my finger into his nails, in, into his hands and, 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 and touch his side, I will not believe. That's what he's saying here. But doc, do, uh, Dr. Parker of London said that what Thomas said of Christ, listen carefully, the world is saying about the church. And the world is also saying to every preacher, that's us, unless I see in your hands the print of the nails, I will not believe. It is true, it is the man who has died with Christ that can preach the cross of Christ. That gives me shivers. So if you think you're just going to go out there and tell the political world that this is wrong and this is right, this is wrong, this is right, without having gone on the cross, there's no power in your words. The day that Jesus died, In, in Matthew 27, verse 50. Sorry, Sholejan, I didn't have to give you this one, but this is it. 27, verse 50, Matthew. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is the moment where he died. Listen what happens. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks <clears throat> were split. And the graves were opened. 
And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What do you want to live in your life that you think has died? Your death on the cross is going to bring them to life. As long as you stand preaching, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is, you speak death. Because all you're doing is speaking the words of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it brings death. The only thing that will speak life is your death. Because you carry with it the power of the crucified Christ. I can preach some more. I've got some time. The world's definition of sin versus God's definition of sin. The world is very vocal in telling us what they think is wrong. In fact, our whole political system is geared towards that and we're living in it. We're called to vote in it. But we don't, many of us being immigrants, we don't very well understand the political systems in this country, or in the U.S., or in many of the Western countries. We don't understand it. What is the difference between a liberal and a conservative? Who knows? You guys know? Let me give you a little bit of a foundation here so that you know what you're dealing with. Okay? Even though most of what I'm telling you today of the conservative party at least is not true. But it is true of what I'm going to tell you about the liberal party. And what the foundation is of their, of their belief system. I'm not telling you to don't vote for the liberals. I'm not telling you to don't vote for the conservatives. I'm not saying any of that. But you need to understand where all of this comes from. This is not a political thing. So the conservatives, generally speaking, the conservatives believe that there is a moral core that cannot be touched by voting, i.e., the laws of God. You cannot vote on those. That's not open for democracy. There are lots of, there's a layer of social things like how do we spend our money? What, what do we do with, with health care? And those, go ahead, vote all you want. Immigration, all kinds of things. That's, that's all great things for democracy. But you can't touch the core. It's not up for a vote. That was many decades ago, the belief system of the conservative party. The liberal party, however, is completely different. They believe that everything should be voted on by the masses. Because why? The masses know better. They know what things are going on. So everything is up for a vote. Everything. Everything, we put it out and let's get the vote on the people. <clears throat> you see where this is going? That means that what we are doing is we're elevating man, man, mankind, humans, to a level of godhood that is able to determine what the moral code of humanity should be. Right? If we're putting everything out to a, moral, uh, a, a, a vote, that means that you're the ones that are deciding what the moral code should be. That's our liberal party today. Everything should be up for a vote. 
and what the masses believe is what goes. I don't subscribe to that. But we have to understand that the more we go towards that frame of thinking, the communistic, socialistic frame of thinking, we are elevating the godhood of man. And that's what Karl Marx was all about. He wrote, religion is the opiate of the people. It means that when they get going with religion, they become lost in it. Right? They become like, like you are in opium, like a heroin high. Right? You're not thinking anymore. You're just lost in your religion. And he says, the people... Anyway, different thing like today. The world's definition of sin versus God's definition of sin. One of the words that we, you will hear is the word woke. Have you heard of that? Everybody's talking about it, but not many people know what it means. Woke is the past tense of wake, being awake. You woke up. In other words, you woke up to something. What did you wake up to? You woke up to the injustice, the racial injustice that is in it, right? Alert to racial prejudice and injustice. That's what woke means. So when you hear the word woke, this is what they're talking about. That everywhere you look, there's racial prejudice and injustice. Everywhere. So they have come up with an acronym, D-I-E, DIE. Diversity, inclusion, and equity, right? As though these didn't exist before. Now they are the ones defining it. And the reason I'm going to mention it in a second, let me, let me first explain what it is. Diversity means that everybody, in all of the diversity of the human race, we should not have prejudice, we should not be biased against one, one against the other. Whether it's race, say the, the, the black people or the Asian people or whatever it is, there's diversity, everyone's okay. But it also includes all kinds of frames of thinking, right? Your sexual orientation, all kinds of are all included. So in that diversity, everybody is okay. That means that they are defining what is okay. It's a relativistic term. It's no longer based on a, on a, um, a foundation. It's very relativistic. That's diversity. Inclusion, everybody should be included. Exclude no one. All sounds good, right? Equity is another word for fairness. Nothing wrong with those. All of those are properly defined in the Word of God. Yet, the world feels that they need to now give you a definition of it. Because you don't know. And it's true that we don't know. Why? Because for many years, for centuries, the church that should have been on the cross was hammering religion and excluding and pushing this, pushing the opposite of diversity, inclusion, and equity. And so to the world, it seemed like what the church was supposed to be, a picture of Christ, became an unjust judge. So they had to wake up now they are woken up and they are defining for us what is right and what is wrong. And we're all going along with it. I'm, seeing, I'm not saying we as in the church, but the, the whole world is going with it. Not realizing that there's a standard. <clears throat> so now I'm not saying that we should rise up now against this thing. I'm saying that we need to die on the cross. Because that's where the power to speak the truth comes. 
the cross of Christ. My goodness. Are we simply beneficiaries of the cross? The word beneficiary is like, you know, when, um, uh, let's say if I, if, if I have riches and I give my riches to somebody, they become the beneficiary of what I've given, right? It's the same thing of, of, of inheritance. When somebody dies, like parents die, uh, their beneficiaries are the kids. They, they get the inheritance. That's a beneficiary. There's another word called the benefactor. Is the opposite. The beneficiary receives, the benefactor gives. Right? We sometimes only see ourselves as beneficiaries of the cross of Christ, of the grace. We receive, we see ourselves sinful, and it's right. We see ourselves sinful, and we receive of the grace of Christ. But only on the cross can I become a benefactor. Until then, you're only a beneficiary. When Jesus, when the Son of God, we're talking before time began, the Father and the Son, imagine this now, okay? This is before time, before anything was put into motion, before God spoke a word into His creation. This is where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in eternity existed, before time. We know that He was light. He is light. He is love. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit together as one God, they being love, decided that they're going to have an object for that love. Right? So in that plan, there was a covenant made between the Father and the Son. You read it in Galatians 3.17. There was a covenant between the Father and the Son. What is that covenant? If there's love, there has to be free will. True? Love is worthless without free will. If you make somebody love you, that love that they give you in return is worth nothing. So God, in His purity and His love, is he, as he creates an object for his love, what does he have to do? He has to give that object freedom, complete free will to do what? To love and to reject. Love demands the freedom to reject. If the possibility of rejection exists, even before there's no creation, what is the solution? The Father and the Son came up with that solution. It was the cross of Christ. That's why we know that before the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world, we read it in Revelation 13, that Christ was crucified. Why? Is it only because of sin? Was it just a reaction to us going wayward? They says, oh man, you see, they went off. Now we have to have a plan to redeem them. What do you think, Jesus? Do you think you can go and do this? 
that plan was done long before there was anyone. There was no one, not even angels, when this plan of Christ on the cruise, on, on the cross was, was, was determined by the Father and the Son. And the Son committed himself in covenant to die on the cross. That many millennia, how, many, how long from that point, that we don't know. But he knew that that day will come where he would die on the cross. Not just a death. Like bang, gone. No. This is an excruciatingly painful thing. Chuck Swindoll one time spoke a message about this that just shook me. In those days, and, and crucifixion has got to be the most horrible, horrifying of deaths ever. It is torture for hours. And sometimes they don't die. They just go on being tortured. Go on. One time we were playing, uh, Alexei and his friends were out and I was, I was hanging with them. We are in a field where there are these long reeds. You, have you seen the grass fields where, where there's this long reed and there's this brown part of it? You, you've seen those? I don't know what they're called. But one of his friends had picked one up and he whacked me in the back with it. Just playing. My God, the pain. I don't think I've ever experienced pain that harsh. Something across the back like that. I was shocked. Of course, I mean, I didn't make the kid feel guilty or anything, but whoa. Imagine Jesus being whipped in the back 40 times and then from the front. And it didn't, they didn't just whip for the sake of whipping. When they crucified somebody, they would first whip them in the back. Because when they put them on the cross, they nail their feet to the thing and they, they right? They're hanging. They hang. And it, it all stretches like this to the point where, where you, you are unable to breathe. You're unable to breathe. So what do you do? You, you push up with your legs just to gain your breath. And what are you doing? You're scraping your back against a hard scraping against that hard wood and then and then when you have no longer strength you have to let down and it stretches again and and and, and you stop breathing and then you push up again so for for hours it's this up and down motion this was Jesus on the cross pain for our rejection of him not just our sin of, we, of, of us lying, or of our rejection. He paid the price of mankind rejecting him. Even before they rejected him, he paid that price. That is the power of the cross, of the heart of a God that says, I'm going to take responsibility of your rejecting me. I'm going to take responsibility for that. You don't, I do. It's my responsibility because the love that I want to convey demands I give you freedom and I, and I have to also face the possibility of you rejecting me. 
This is the God of the universe. Does not hammer you for being wrong. He says, I'm responsible. I will pay that. I will pay the price. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe. And that magical faith brings you in. What do you think you believe when you consider the cross of Christ? Is it no wonder that he was given all authority in heaven and on earth? Is it no wonder that he is the only one worthy to open up the scrolls of history as you read in Revelation? Is it no wonder that he is worshipped as, as, as God eternal? Is it no wonder that into eternity you will see the Lamb on the throne? So that you will remember the heart of God from before the foundation of the world, into eternity. This is our Christ. This is our Jesus. What do you think? Like, Think about this for a second. Where there is no longer a sin, we're talking now into eternity. We are now, death and, and, and um, sin is, has been thrown into the lake of fire. It's all gone. We're all glorified, sitting with Christ he is still represented as the Lamb. Why? Is He trying to remind you of your sins? I don't think so. I think He's trying to show who He is from eternity to eternity. This is wisdom. To know the heart of God that made a covenant to love you to the death. To know that heart. If there is a doubt, small doubt in your mind, I just pray right now that that doubt be cast aside and you come by faith to the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God for the forgiveness of sins. Repent. Change your mind. If you thought of Christ a different way, change your mind. If you thought of Christ not in the way that I described it, what you believe is foolishness, change your mind. Simply, you can. Because faith is available to you right now. It's available to you. Take it, it's free. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who will continue to guide you with His eye. He will guide you. He will convict you of sin. You know, many people I've seen, many people have, you, you know what the word sin actually in the Greek is missing the mark. Imagine a bullseye that you're aiming towards. You miss the mark. It's the same word. 
But many people paint their own bullseye that they've hit. And they invite God to come along. Again, thinking that he is altogether like you. No, 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 no. This is his mark. He is a king. He has a kingdom. His invitation is for us to follow in that kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all of the things that we chase after in this life will be given. I've given this example before. If you're working for a company and you go out on a trip, all of the expenses are covered by the company. As long as you're doing the work of the company, your expenses are covered. You don't have to first work to cover the expenses and then go do what you... No, no, no. Your expenses are covered. That's what Jesus is saying in a sense. You do the work of the kingdom. I will make sure everything else is covered. Today, I want to really, really impress upon you to believe in Jesus for who he truly is. No cutting corners. He is God. He is the eternal Son of God who in covenant with the Father decided how He is going to redeem all of mankind. Is it no wonder, is it no wonder that He says this is the only way? I am the way, the truth and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. There isn't a side door. There isn't a back door. Jesus is the only door. And I love how Bill Johnson puts it. He says, if there was another door, wouldn't the death of Jesus on the cross be a most cruel thing by the Father? But there is no other way. That's why it's so important to recognize Jesus as the only way and submit to that. Grace is available to you today to submit to that. And if you think you're going to understand first and then believe, you have it backwards. Understanding comes because you believe. You want to understand the eternal wisdom of God in Christ, believe. And all you have to do is just say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. And grace doors will be opened for you. I'll invite Sarah to come back for a last song and, and we'll, uh, we'll pray. But I want to pray for you specifically if you today, if there was any kind of drop, diminishment in who you thought you were and what you believed in the cross. Because honestly, this, this word that, that Haney read in the beginning is true. Oh, this is what I wanted to say. The church has tremendous power and authority on the earth. The church has tremendous power and authority. It is, the church is the solution to this world. All of the things, because Christ is our head, we are the body, the church is the body. The church, the collective church, meaning the head and the body together as one, is the solution for this world. And the world will one day see it. 
But until then, the church has the responsibility to speak and to pray. But pray with authority. Pray with the authority that comes from being on the cross. If you want to live in resurrection power, it's in that phrase, resurrection means that you died first and now there's resurrection. It doesn't come just because you are right. There's no power in just being right, having an opinion. Your opinion might be right. I'm not, no. But there's no power in that. That's just the death of religion. Power is in the cross and us on the cross. If you think you're right, I've said these words here from here before. If you think you're right, lay it down. And you will have power on the other side of the cross, the other side of death. Please, don't leave here without coming up for prayer. If you want to give your heart to the Lord in this way that I described today, I want you to please come up and pray with me up here after the worship. Don't leave without doing that.